transportation is really a kind of a civil rights issue. Mm -hmm. You know, the lowest uh, people on the transportation hierarchy are folks that are disabled or pedestrians or elderly or kids. Kids. I mean, that's the most outrageous thing. It's like, how do we allow kids to die on our streets and just don't do anything? We allow children to die all the time and just do nothing. We just let it happen. Usually I have Nick with me, but it's Valentine's Day. Nick gets to be with his wife and his kid. Um, today we have with us Nithya Raman, who is running for Council District 4. And we also have some folks from Pasadena Complete Streets Coalition. So first up, um, we're going to talk to Nithya, who is, uh, like I said, she's running for Council District 4. And um, hi, Nithya. How are you doing? Hi. Thank you for having me today. Yeah. Thanks for coming by. We really appreciate that. Of course. So I'm looking at your your bio. It's amazing. So oh, thank you. Urban planner, spent her entire career working on urban poverty and women's rights. Mm-hmm. In India, she led work bolstering slum dwellers' uh, fight for basic necessities like running water, toilets, and land rights. So that's very important work. I mean, (laughs) it sounds like you've already handled things that, um, you know, are pertinent to the role as city council, uh, as a city council member. In some ways, yeah. And uh, I think someone asked me earlier today, what was the moment I decided to run for office and it was actually when I had a full-time job I was running a division of Time's Up which was the women's rights movement that grew out of Me Too organizing in Hollywood and you know beyond much beyond Hollywood I was actually running the group that was um, focused on making the entertainment industry workplace safer more equitable uh, for all workers but particularly women workers And it was an incredibly exciting job. And somebody was asking me, what was the moment I decided? And I think the moment was when I was doing all of this homeless services work in my neighborhood, which you hadn't mentioned yet as part of my bio. But but I was doing it like nights and weekends and calling people at my lunch break to try and get um, resources for people experiencing homelessness in my neighborhood. We were trying to get outreach workers to come out. And I was like, this is not my job. And then I was like, well, maybe it should be. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So then, yeah. But yes, I've been doing urban planning work uh, for my whole career, except for this one year that I was uh, at Time's Up. So. Now, your predecessors, um, Tom LaBonge, and I think, you know, we could throw Mitchell Farrell in there as well. They sort of govern the, the area um, together. They, they, they had harsh policies. They still have harsh policies against the homeless population. Yes. And, um, you know, for us, it's like what works to get people off the streets? Um, I think it's, uh, you know, I don't think harsh or not harsh is really the question here. So I worked at City Hall in 2014 briefly, and I wrote a report about how the city was responding to homelessness in 2014. And that was when LA City had about 23,000 people experiencing homelessness. Now it has 
almost 37,000. So it's just a huge increase in such a brief span of time. But back then, that was still a huge number. And the report I wrote uncovered some things about how the city was responding, which were really concerning. One, departments weren't really talking to each other and responding to homelessness. They were just kind of dealing with it in their own departments. And all of these different different departments were dealing with it, libraries, parks, streets, city attorney's office, police. And the city across all of these different departments was spending over $100 million just responding to homelessness. Um, it's an enormous amount of money, but actually almost 90% of that money was being spent on enforcement, on putting homeless individuals in jail, often for short periods of time, um, and then releasing them. Uh, and it was, you know, it's putting somebody in jail is not a home. It doesn't solve the problem of homelessness. Um, and it's both incredibly, you know, it's both ineffective and I think incredibly cruel because if you're on the journey off off trying to get out of homelessness and you have some of your paperwork together and or you've talked to a caseworker and you're on the path, put, get, getting put in jail actually puts you at the beginning of that process again. And even if you're not on that path, if you're trying to get into a home, jail time makes it so much harder for you to get into a home. It just makes it harder to do anything. It makes it harder to get a job. It makes it harder to do any of the things that you would need to do in order to actually resolve homelessness. Um, yeah, and so it's been an incredibly, it, I think the, the enforcement is, of course, harsh, but I think the, for the city of L.A., the most important thing is that it doesn't work right. in the way that it's been practiced. You know, and so let's focus on what works to get people off of the streets and what works to keep people housed who are vulnerable, what works to build the kind of housing that people really need. Like, let's do what works and do all of it and do it with the urgency that we need for this moment. Right, right, right. I've, I've been canvassing for Lorraine Lundquist in, in CD12 and talking to folks out there, and there's a similar um, sort of... Uh, battle going on out there about homelessness and how to deal with it and the current incumbent is basically like a law and order type of approach where they just shuffle folks around from jail from bridge to bridge it's a waste of money you can make a a conservative argument you know as well and I, I, I have been doing that with some households where I canvas and it's obviously you know, mom or dad are Republican and I'm trying to canvas for the, the Democrat there, but I end up talking to mom and dad and you sort of still can make the case we're wasting money. Yeah. You know, being cruel to homeless people. Right. So and it's really I, kind of a national problem too. It's like it's you know, a lot of people put blame on politicians in California. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's homeless there. It's like sort of like, well, California's an attractive state for folks to come to because we have a lot of jobs and a lot of success here and we end up getting a lot of people coming here and our housing prices have gone up and people right on the edge of being homeless go homeless and then they get sucked into a uh like a like like you said like a a spiral of defeat where somebody gets arrested then they have a record then they can't get a job right yeah and i think the other thing too is I really like, I don't think it's a Democrat versus Republican issue. I don't think it's a right versus left issue. I think the thing that's been exciting about our campaign and, you know, when I started, first of all, I never wanted to be a politician. I just felt like there was this gap in in a city where our housing and homelessness problem is the most um, 
kind of salient part of Los Angeles right now. I think it is the thing that is top of mind for everybody, no matter where you live, no matter who you are, it is unignorable. Um, and no matter what your approach to it. And I feel like the thing that's been really exciting about the campaign is we put out a message and it's been heard. Like we have an incredible amount of volunteer support. We have so much uh, support from organizations that are kind of, um, you know, civic organizations that are progressive. We've gotten endorsements from, you know, from local groups like the Sunrise Movement, the League of Conservation Voters, um, Churla. Um, we, we just have like, we, it, the message is resonating. And I think the reason it's resonating is because I think most people are, don't want to be cruel. You know, they want, right, right. they want, I think people see what's happening on the streets of Los Angeles right now and they feel, and they feel heartbroken, you know? Um, and I feel like the only option that's being given to them by so many of the politicians in our city is to step up enforcement and to put people in jail. And my argument and the argument behind the campaign is that we're doing such a bad job of providing services and we're doing such a bad job of making sure vulnerable, vulnerable people don't become homeless that there's so much more work to be done there and that through compassionate, evidence-based responses, we can do better and we can we can lived by our values. You know, we don't have to look away from our values to address this crisis. And I think that's, um, if people are given that option, I think they they want to take that option. I don't think it matters where they are on the political spectrum. I don't think it matters, you know, whether they're Democrat or Republican. Like, people want to do good for the world, and people want to believe that compassionate responses can yield good outcomes. And they can. I know they can. We just have to do them. We just haven't been doing them. Now, on a policy level, let's say... You know, what, what is the Nithya, like, policy-level response to this? You get into office, how's, how's it going down? Like, In terms of responding to, to homelessness? Yeah. Um, you know, there's, I've laid out a really detailed housing and homelessness plan on my website, mm-hmm. um, nithyaforthecity.com. If you're interested, I encourage um, listeners to go and take a look at it because it's, it's, it's very detailed, um, and it lays out not just on housing and homelessness, but we have an environment plan. We have a plan on immigration. We have a plan on making City Hall work better. And in each of those, and we're going to be releasing one on aging and health, um, and in each of those, what we wanted to do was to really lay out how we would use the immense powers of the L.A. City Council to advance a better vision of L.A., to advance a more just vision of L.A., to advance a more sustainable vision for Los Angeles. And our city council is so powerful. So I just wanted to plug that, you know, we've laid out the pathways that we think we could be moving um, in in this city. So for the um, for house, for homelessness and housing, I think I want to talk. There's a lot of parts to that plan, but I want to talk about one that I think is really important because I think I want to I want to challenge everyone in Los Angeles to to look at, you know, because we have a bunch of elections coming up Um across the city um, and we'll have more in two years and I think anytime a politician comes to you I want I want people to be thinking about okay how is their approach to homelessness going to be transformationally different from what's come before you know how can it really move people um, you know along the path to housing in ways that we haven't been doing before Um, and one thing I talk about is putting a series of community access centers in every neighborhood Uh, Because what we found, I started a homeless coalition in my own neighborhood, 
and I it serves Silver Lake and Los Feliz and Echo Park and Atwater and a whole range of uh, neighborhoods that are near the river where there's a lot of people in encampments. What we found when we were doing that work was that once people were homeless, it was almost impossible for them to get access to the kinds of resources that they needed to get off of the streets. And so I feel like we can do such a much better job of delivering those services to people. And we need to do that in every neighborhood across the city because there is homelessness across every neighborhood of the city. And so I talk about these community access centers, which can be places where there's outreach workers there, where there's mental health workers there, who know everybody in the neighborhood by name who's experiencing homelessness. And they are held accountable not just for going and doing outreach, but actually for moving people along the path to getting services and to getting housed. A neighborhood-level system where people know other folks by name, that is so different from what's happening today where outreach workers, you know, do not go out and talk to people over and over again. Mental health case workers are not out there at all, really. They only come in times of crisis. That's not a time when people are able to accept help. And the model that I'm suggesting allows for people to develop the relationships of trust that they need to develop in order to be able to accept services and move into housing. It's based on evidence and um, across different cities. And I know that we can do it in Los Angeles, and we must. Um, and through the Homeless Coalition that I started, we actually created a kind of a, an access center. And I just learned, I had to step down from the board in order to run, but I just learned that we housed seven people in the last two weeks mm. in our neighborhood. Nice. And we just did that as volunteers. Imagine what the city mm. could do right. if it transformed its response in that way. Right. You know, it would be, it would be a, a completely different situation from what we're facing right now. And we can do it. We, have, we can do it with the exact same resources we have available to us right now. We can do it with the exact same people that we have available to us right now. We just need to be committed to it and mm. feel that urgency to do it. Mm. And we spend a lot of our budget, our city budget, gets spent on police. You know, and it's, it's that same thing you were talking about. It's like having police on the homelessness problem is... Yeah, it's expensive too. Expensive. Yeah, it's foolish. It's really expensive. It's expensive. It's wasting our most expensive staff members from the city doing a task that they were that I'm sure they don't even want to do. Right. You know? It's like asking a doctor to clip toenails. It's <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah. They exactly. want to do other things. Surgeries, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that sounds amazing. I've I've t- never thought about that, you know, there should be community centers. Yeah. They're in communication with anybody that even could be on the edge, right? Absolutely. And that's yeah. one thing that I talk about, too, is that it's a place for anybody facing vulnerability come in and get help. It's like a doorway to city and county and state resources. Instead of it having to be a maze, instead of having access to legal counsel when you're facing eviction, instead of having access to any of the resources that the, that the, the government can give you, Instead of having that be a maze that you have to navigate, instead of that having right. to be a second job, essentially, for so many people who are paperwork, facing paperwork and chasing down offices and going after referrals, it doesn't have to be that way. And for most people, they're not able to navigate that system. It requires an incredible amount of time, proficiency with, yeah. you know, I navigating beer. I know. It's so hard. Yeah. I can... I mean, I hate even going to the DMV. Hanging on right. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Like, it's like, imagine if you had to fill out all of this paperwork all the time to get access to anything. And if you have a community outreach center that's available and people are, you know, a lot of times I think people are maybe $100 out from totally. rent. 
exactly. $100. Maybe there's some way city Absolutely. services could be extended and like, hey, we got you on this 100 bucks. That That's a part of my platform is like eviction prevention. Often you only need a couple hundred dollars to right. stay in your home. Right. And if you can get that at the right time, then you can save tens of thousands of dollars yeah. housing somebody after they have lost their homes. Totally makes the sense. The other thing that I just wanted to, because I get really excited thinking about this. So <laughs> um, L.A., I think has a reputation for having pretty low levels of civic engagement. This group right now in this room probably is like on the outliers, a set of outliers, like deeply engaged people. <laughs> um, so I'm talking to the wrong group about that, but it, we have a reputation for being, you know, like low civic engagement mm -hmm. in the homeless coalition that I started and with, with my neighbors, I co-founded it. Um, and in the campaign, when you, what I found is that when you give space for people to do something, when you give space for them to contribute positively to their community, they rush to fill that space. Mm. You know, and like the community centers or the, the community access centers can be that too. They can be places where um, community members are invited to volunteer. They can cook hot meals and serve them. Older folks can come in and just have, you know, sometimes people feel isolation in their homes. They can come in and have a meal with other people. You don't you know, you have to show an ID to come in. But just imagine what that space can be like in every neighborhood across the city where you could drop off things you don't need and somebody could get things that they need. If you had extra food, you could just drop it off there. If you wanted support, you could just come in and be there. If you wanted to get a cup of coffee, you could, you're welcome to come in and have a seat and have a cup of coffee. Like That would be a transformational space in L.A. I don't see those kinds of spaces around. And, and if done right, it can galvanize and create community in places where there isn't or where there needs to be. Like, how beautiful would that be? We did it in Silver Lake and the surrounding neighborhoods through SELA. And it's like every time I go see it, it's moving, you know. And for the campaign, we've had incredible volunteer support. We had 120 people out canvassing last weekend, um, you know, over 100 the weekend before. And it's just been incredible to see, like, how many people have come out for us because – they feel this real sense that if we do this and if we can get this right, we can make L.A. better together. And, you know, that's cool. That's really amazing. And it's we should do more of that, you know. Wow. That's powerful. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I've been watching the, you know, I have a few friends in Ground Game L.A. that are involved in Ground Game. And uh, they've definitely been doing work, you know, promoting your campaign mm -hmm. and they've been doing a really good job. I, I love all the messaging of the campaign and the detail that you get into. Like you just laid out a whole plan. That's amazing. You'd never hear that from the incumbent, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just all talk and little sound bites and stuff from the incumbent. And you're giving us like a vision. That, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I think um, at a time when like climate crisis is near, when our homelessness is, you know, is leading to a thousand deaths a year. I feel like I don't want crumbs anymore. You know, I don't want people like nibble around at the edges of problems and just say things like the time for complacency is done. Let's move on. <laughs> I agree. I think there's a big mood like that going on. I hope so. Yeah. So let's vote them out. Yeah. Okay. So that's an amazing vision for homeless, um, you know, for the homeless issue. Let's talk a little bit of transportation. Yeah. You know, because in, in my mind, like, transportation is really a 
a kind of a civil rights issue. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a, you know, we have like a very classist transportation system here where people are treated better if they have a more expensive vehicle or Hmm. form of transportation, right? Right. And it seems like the lowest, the lowest uh, people on the transportation hierarchy are, you know, folks that are disabled or pedestrians or elderly or kids. It's crazy. Kids. I mean, that's the most outrageous thing. It's like, how do we allow kids to die on our streets and just don't do anything? And nobody cares. It's like astounding to me. Yeah. You I mean, know, one one like a a dresser falls over in from I and then IKEA recalls like millions of units of furniture and somehow in Los Angeles we allow children to die all the time and don't just do nothing. It's it's really astounding. Yeah. You know, it's remarkable how differently we let let you know, we we just let it happen. Yeah, and they make calculations based on deaths too, you know, with, with, uh, road design mm-hmm. and there's an acceptable level of death, you know, uh, in exchange for a 30 second better average commute time sort of thing going on where life is just treated so, um, valuelessly, you know, like, <laughs> so anyways, you know, I mean, Hearing about hearing about your homeless plan uh, gives me hope for what your transportation sort of philosophy will be. Yeah, I mean, I think we talk about transportation. We uh, we talked about transportation really in, through the environment policy, and I think the 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 broader kind of message of the campaign is really around urgency. Like, how do we respond to this moment with the urgency that it deserves? And you know. of our greenhouse gas emissions in California are coming from transportation. It is imperative that we get people out of their cars. Um, It's imperative that we keep people safer on the streets. And uh, the plan lays out a bunch of ways that we can do that. Um, You know, I I love buses. I've taken buses my whole life, pretty much. Not when I was living in a suburb of Boston, but uh, (laughs) when I was young. But I've, you know, my entire adult life, I've taken buses. So it talks. A, I love buses, and I think we should be using buses a lot more in in LA. Um, you know, you were talking about all these different people, people with disabilities, people who are older. Um, all of them can use the bus too. You mm. know, bicycle. You know, cycles are amazing, mm. and I, 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 I think we should have a network of protected bike lanes across the city. An, mm. A network. Mm-hmm. Right, right. <laughs> Focus on the word network. Mm. Um, that can really get people around the city and get people to transit hubs and things like that. But, like, the thing I'm the most excited about is increasing bus frequency and um, uh, making sure that, like, we have real incentives, particularly on major thoroughfares, for people to get on the bus. Like, a bus moves faster than traffic. And I don't think we have to do a lot of work to do that. Um, But... You know, that's way cheaper than the billions we're spending on the train infrastructure. And I think that if we really were smart about it and we can play around with it, it's easy to experiment with Mm. it. It's cheap to experiment with it. Figure out what works. You can pilot stuff real fast and take it away if it doesn't work. We can make a system that really works to make it super fast to get around the city um, using transit and using the bus a lot. And I would love to see that. 
I like what you're saying about frequency of the bus because um, I think that you know the the powers that be they they focus on speed um, more than they do on frequency. Yeah, and it's like. I think speed is overrated. I think we've been pumped with so much marketing that speed is important that really like if, you know, when I'm sitting on the, at the bus stop and the bus stop is kind of awful and it's close to the street and there's no get some shade on there. Shade, (laughs) shade. Yeah. Shade would be nice. And you're feeling kind of depressed and you're waiting 20 minutes for a bus. that's going to, you know, whisk you across town to wait for another bus. It takes 20 or 30 minutes. Right. If each, if it was just a 10 minute exactly. wait, exactly. I'd be on the bus, I'd be stoked, I'd be listening to music totally. or whatever, yeah. just as long as you're moving, you know? Exactly. So I'd, I'd like to see them somehow come up with a way to have more frequency. But I think, you know, I think in the background, there's sort of this pressure to focus on speed rather than frequency, mm. you know, because if you got frequency, you're filling the streets up with more buses. And I think that's sort of goes against the the sort of uh, culture that we have in Los Angeles that you that the streets are for cars you Hmm. know there's this sort of thing out there this cultural feeling that the streets get filled up with buses and bikes and pedestrians and it's it's interfering with cars so Hmm. I I don't know I, I yeah well, I, I love buses. I used to take the bus when I w- I used I lived in India for a number of years, mm-hmm. and when I f- when I was very young and living there, I mean not very young, like I was still an adult, but when I was younger and living there, I was making no money. I had couldn't afford to take an auto rickshaw because I was a I, I used to also I was a professional dancer. I danced with a dance company there, and I w- also worked with a, a trade union of informal sector workers there, and. neither of those jobs might surprise you to hear are very lucrative um Mm -hmm. and so I had to take the bus everywhere and it was so fun in India because you'd get on the bus and I was at a depot so I could always get a seat which was great um but I would sit I would be seated and then women would get on the bus and like it would get super crowded and there would be tons of people sitting and people would hand you their bags to hold (laughs) because if you were standing or um, people would hand you babies, their children. So I would often be riding on the bus and I'd get to just like hug this adorable baby. Oh my God. Um, while the baby's mother was like standing next to me and like holding on for dear life in, right. <laughs> in like a super crowded bus. And then there was this thing where you couldn't get through the bus to make the payment to the conductor. So like if somebody got on the bus in the front, uh, they would have to give the payment to the conductor who was in the back. And so they would like hand a piece of paper and they would say the place where they were going to the person. It was like this game of telephone. So you'd like <laughs> take the money and you'd be like, Paris, Paris, it's Paris. Uh, Paris there's like a, it was a big bus depot there. Mm-hmm. And so we'd be like, Paris, 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 Paris. And then you'd like pass it back and then he would give, make the change. And then you would no way. And then you'd pass it back to the front. And it was just like this whole, you know, and I did, I did that every day. So it wasn't like I was like, oh, this is novelty and it's great. Right. But like, I never, I never got really tired of that. It was fun. <laughs> it's fun to be in that environment. Um, yeah, I love taking the bus there. Uh, here it's fun too, but I wish it came more frequently. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that, that also, I think, you know, like Uber and Lyft, 
eat away at the this has been a problem for metro is that uber and lyft they're eating. saying are eating away at the ridership of Buses. Oh, buses. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. in L.A. there's two things happening. One is that the people who were the, the mainstay of bus ridership, who were lower income ri- uh, residents of the city, can't afford to live here anymore. Mm. So they are not living in L.A. They mm. still work. They may work in L.A., but mm. they're, they can't afford to live here. Mm. They're not in places where there's a lot of bus transit. So they are not using our buses anymore, which is that's why we've had a decline. I think the primary reason for the decline in public transit ridership mm. Um, but I think a, another big reason, yeah, is frequency. Because I, went, for my last job, for when I worked at Times Up, I live in Silver Lake and I worked in um, Santa Monica. So I would take a bus and two trains, um, and then, or in the morning, sometimes my husband would drop me because the train station was near my kids' preschool. But on the way back, I would cu- get out of the train, and if I had missed my bus, I would inevitably just end up calling a lift because mm-hmm. the the mm-hmm. time. To wait for the next bus was so long yeah. that I was like, okay, I gotta, you know, I gotta relieve the babysitter. I get, you know, she's waiting for me, and I want to see my kids. And so the calculus was always like, okay, I'll just spend the money and go. Right, right. Um, and and that just, can go up and down. You know, the you know, you've got folks that are working. You've got folks that want to go out and you know go to a bar or something. Yeah. And it's the same thing. You're, you're waiting 20 minutes, right. 30 minutes for exactly. a bus. You're like, I'm just going to take an Uber. Exactly. Yeah. So I think for sure there's a real um, draining from Uber and Lyft of the public transit Do you support usage. bus rapid transit? Uh, I think it depends on where. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we could find ways to make buses faster, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but I, I mean, bus rapid transit, it should be part of a menu of options, for sure. Yeah, that's a big uh, discussion going on right now. Is a, the Metro wants to implement a citywide bus rapid transit network, and you've got a lot of neighborhoods that are coming out against it who've been whipped up by certain voices out there. And, you know, even in, in Council District 12 for Lorraine Lundquist, like she took a hit for um, initially supporting bus rapid transit um, on the neighborhood council. You know, it was just like a motion that came by the neighborhood council. It was like, right. sure, that's a great idea, but where to put it, big question. So, yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, one of the interesting things about L.A. is really like you got to go out there and stump for that stuff because everyone's going to be scared of new mm-hmm. stuff coming. Everyone's going to be scared that, um, you know, it's going to take long. It's good. There's going to be so much traffic. There's going to be X, Y, Z. And I feel like I want to see my elected representatives out there really making the case for, right. you know, things that can get us to our climate goals, things that can get us to our housing and homelessness goals. I don't really see that right now. I see right. people who are kind of running away from with complaints. Um, and I would love to see more of that. I would really love to see some people out there are really advocating, you know, and being kind of evangelists of a new future and getting people on board and making people less scared of change. There's a, there's a couple, like uh, Mike Bonin mm-hmm. um, does, a, does a good job of selling it. I think you're right. you got to sell it to the public. And, and I'm also curious, like, Metro just sort of beats you over the head with their plan. Like, well, here's bus rapid transit. Boom. They're going to take some lanes out and just put it in. And of course, people are gonna get, get pissed off yeah, and scared. Right, right. I'd rather see them do something like, you know, on the down low almost, and just be like, okay, let's focus on these corridors, let's increase frequency here, and start layering in 
bus rapid transit, you know, like maybe make a, a couple of blocks where there's a right turn pocket where the bus has priority or something. And then eventually get the whole thing put in rather than just like plopping it down and expecting people to go for it. It's like you could sort of sell it to them, you know, by layering it in yeah, piece by piece over a couple of years. I think a really good um, way to th- you, like think about it is piloting stuff. Like mm-hmm. people like pilots and it temp- feels temporary. And I think you can always talk about stuff in terms of that's like a good strategic way to think about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think that's we could do a lot more of positive community outreach for sure. Now, what about um, development? That's another big topic. Developers, development, housing. Yeah. It is um, a big topic, I agree. You got your <laughs> you got your Yimbies. You got your NIMBYs. NIMBYs are not in my backyard. Yimbies are yes in my backyard. The Yimbies seem to be pro-developer or cast. They're cast that way as pro-developer and... Um, in some of the arguments I've had with them, there are definitely some people on the Yimby side that just don't seem to care about folks that are low income and already there or mm-hmm. people that were already in the neighborhood. They're just like, oh, yeah, move them over to this place or whatever, build more and there'll be more supplies. So then the housing prices will go down. But I don't know if I really buy that. I think it will take so long for a lot of that kind of construction to for for the drop in prices to trickle down to to places where you know working people are really going to see differences in their um you know in what they're paying i i do think though that like we need we desperately need more housing but we need cheaper housing we we're seeing a lot more development in los angeles in recent years than we have in years past um and a, a lot of that development has been really expensive. And yeah, and it hasn't brought down the prices. It has not brought down the prices. And I think we can do a lot more. We can use a lot of the powers that we have in the council because the control, council control is land use. It's a huge power. And we could definitely be using those powers to push for the construction of more deeply affordable and affordable housing. Um, and, yeah. And public housing, we can invest in public housing again. You know, I think, and for me, it's like the, my, the perspective that I bring to it is I worked with people who lived in slums in India. I've worked with people experiencing homelessness here. Like I have, um, I have seen so many people for whom the market has failed. The real estate market has totally failed them. And so for me, a, a solution that is focused primarily or exclusively on unleashing the real estate market um, I just don't know that that is necessarily going to address the needs of the people who are the most vulnerable in, in, in L.A. right now. Um, and, it, you know, our shortage, we have a shortage of 500,000 affordable units in L.A. County. It's huge. That's, I was just in Park La Brea yesterday. That's 4,100 apartments. You know, how many of those do we need to build in order to, <laughs> you know, fill our affordable housing gap like that's that's just the monumental scale of the number of units that we need which which you know um metro has a lot of property and they build developments Mm -hmm. on their stations and um you know even what you know the the nimbys or the opposition will call out metro and say you built this 
building and it has 2,000 parking spots, <laughs> you're not trying yes, to build exactly. a transit-oriented development. This right. is just a developer. Right. I mean, there's all these weird ways that, um, you know, our, our philosophy or the, uh, the NIMBYs and the YIMBYs sort of cross over in the way that they think about development. And I'm just thinking, like, FIMBY, right? Public housing yeah. in my backyard. We have a postcard that says that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've, I've heard about that from, I think it was maybe Ace Katana introduced me to that term. But uh, the, you know, Metro, why are they not just building public housing? And forget about the market rate stuff. Like, this is our public land that Metro, we're paying for with our tax dollars. Build us some public housing. Don't put 2000 parking spots put 2000 human spots you know like the size of a parking spot takes up so much space that could be a place for somebody to have a room in an apartment and it's it's expensive to have parking let's get rid of it let's make a truly transit-oriented development yeah and like if you build massive housing units those are not necessarily green like the premise behind this whole movement is to really get us to a greener la right Mm. And so if they're like huge apartments, those are not with with parking, you know, it's you have to. Yeah, we really have to think about what is the future of the housing that we want to build. Mm. Um, yeah, I love I we desperately need more housing, but I do think we need to do a lot more thinking about what kind of housing we're building. Mm-hmm. And we also have, you know, what part of the distrust around yimbies and nimbies is really uh, or even just generally around housing issues, around communities that are agitating against housing and communities and d- people who are building housing, really has to do with the fact that we have let real estate money colonize City Hall. You know, that is where that distrust comes from. We have let real estate money flow into council politics. They have been the only donors for city council races for decades. Mm-hmm. So it is no surprise that people feel deeply distrustful of huge developments that are coming up in their neighborhood because they're like, are you doing this in our best interest or are you doing this for profit? You know, are the city council members deciding this for people or for those who want to profit? And I feel like we have to take away that that nexus of, of you know, the real estate dollars and city council. Like we can we, we have to remove them if we want to have a positive conversation in the city. Mm-hmm. It's really important. Yeah. Money and politics. That's the disease of our entire country. Blah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's just it's do publicly financed elections, city council races don't need to be this expensive. It's crazy. We can right. just finance them. You right, know? right. It is not hard to do this. Right. Let us let's get it done. So obviously, you've rejected developer money. We don't. We're not taking a single corporate dollar. Awesome. Yeah. So we haven't taken any corporate money. We haven't taken money from real estate interests writ large. We're really doing our best to comb through every donation that comes in. We're not taking fossil fuel interest money. Um, we returned money voluntarily from people um, because we felt like they were donors that are have are involved in businesses that have interest in City Hall and might be seeking influence at City Hall, and we don't want to have any of that. We're, you know, it's hard. Yeah. I'm not saying it's, like, straightforward or easy to do it, but we're, we're, we're really trying to run a campaign that is in line with those values. And you can. We've raised a really good amount of money. And we're running a very um, strong and viable campaign that has generated a ton of attention. But you don't, you know, you don't have to take corporate dollars to do that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of buzz going on about your campaign. That's so. right. 
we're busy, busy <laughs> as hell. So if people want to volunteer, yes, where we are we going? You. Yeah. Um, so our website is nithyaforthecity.com, N-I-T-H-Y-A. Um, we have a link for canvassing up there, and we'd love to get you to canvas. We'd love to get you to donate. We still, you know, we're doing well, but we every dollar matters. Um, obviously, tell your friends about us. Um, if you like what I'm talking about here and you think that we deserve better from our elected representatives in Los Angeles, like tell everybody you know a lot of people live in Council District 4, spread the word. Um, we have a texting program and an email program that we need people for, so you can get involved there. But we're trying to hit as many doors as possible. And so canvassing is great, donating is great, volunteering, all, all kinds is great. Now, the... Uh the uh, the voting starts on the twenty second. Mail in ballots are already out. Mail in ballots are already out. Okay, voting starts on the twenty second, and then they open it up a little bit more on the twenty ninth. Mm-hmm. So twenty second, we'll have I guess what is there like five voting centers around LA or something like that, and then on the twenty ninth, they're going to open up more All of them. Yeah. yeah voting centers, and you'll still have time to vote. So there's a lot of time to vote. There's a lot of time to. Uh, volunteer still right what's the get out the vote gonna look like it's just all out people going door door hangers we have uh, yeah we have a a big street a field campaign that we've invested in and that we're building through volunteer support so yeah it's tons of we're outside of schools we're at grocery stores we're going to the doors it's a lot yeah oh man it's it's crazy it's crazy. It's never ending. <laughs> yeah. I don't see how you're so calm. You seem very calm. And oh, that's good. I'm glad I come <laughs> up here that way. Yeah. So we have some other guests coming on the show with uh, Pasadena Com- Complete Streets Coalition. We're going to take a break. Nithya, if you want to stay with us and talk or I'm, not. I might have to put my kids to bed. Okay. And no if I leave right now, I will be able to catch them before <laughs> I before they go to sleep. Okay. So that's okay with you. Yeah, that's I'm fine. I'm so sorry. I was hoping that we'd all get a chance to chat together. It's all good. Okay. I mean, I really enjoyed, uh, we all did. We're all here. We just haven't introduced Pasadena to the stage yet. But, I mean, you, I, it's been amazing talking to you. Thank so, you so much. Thank yeah. you for having me. I really appreciate it. So Nithya for the city, and that's F-O-R? Yep. Nithyaforthecity.com. Mm-hmm. Go there to donate and, you, and volunteer. Yeah, and you can follow us on socials, Nithya for the City on Instagram and Nithya V. Raman on Twitter. And we're very active. And uh, Nithya for the City on Facebook. Okay. All right. Cool. Thank um, you. Thank you. We're going to take a break. And then when we get back, we'll talk to Pasadena Complete Streets. Okay. Sorry, guys. Bike Talk, live stream on KPFK, listening to a little Sonic Youth. All right, that was, wow, Nithya for the city. I'm in. 
I'm going to do some, well, I'm volunteering for Lorraine Lundquist, so that's taking up all my time, but they're both on the very same level of exactly what we need for the city. So um, I'm pulling for Nithya. I'm going to make a donation. So um, right now we're back, and we have uh, the folks from Pasadena Complete Streets Coalition. How are you guys doing? Flipping, turning on. Okay, we're on. So we got Topher Mathers. Yes, I am Topher Mathers. <laughs> We've got Blair Miller. Hey. And then I didn't catch your name. Um, I'm Dan Huyn. Dan. Dan Huyn. Dan Huyn. Yeah. Nice to meet you all. All right. So we we, we just did Lo- Los Angeles. Now we're we're heading over to Pasadena, neighboring city. And um, you guys focus on the city of Pasadena. And, um, you know, complete street streets, you know, most of our audience members know what that means, but why don't we talk about it a little bit for the new folks? Oh, great. Thanks. So, um, kind of following on what Nithya was talking about, complete streets gets at a lot of, um, elements that are really important. So if we can make our streets safe, accessible, appealing to all users, we can tackle a number of the problems that Nithya was was talking about. Um, first of all, we'll have a city that people can safely move around without cars, which is one of Pasadena's tenets in its general plan. Um, we'll have a city that can help um, approach its climate action goals um, and help address climate change. Um, and we'll have a city that's more equitable for everybody because there'll be opportunities to move around outside of using a car, which is more expensive. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're, we're always looking at complete streets. So are you guys, were you guys ever involved with LACBC as a, um, the LA County Bicycle Coalition, or is this kind of a completely separate project? Because I, I know a lot of uh, coalitions have sort of emerged from LACBC now that LACBC's kind of shrunk a little bit, and they've split off, so I was just curious if you guys had no, any... No, we're very uh, uh, closely aligned with LACBC, mm-hmm. and um, Colin is one of our major members and also an employee over there. Um, but we've chosen deliberately not to become a chapter of LACBC, not because we are in, in any way unenthusiastic about them as sure. an organization, but because our focus is actually on complete streets, including um, pedestrians and other users. Um, so we decided that in order to maintain that focus on the broadest number of users, we didn't want to become part of a um, something named by coalition, though I know LACBC obviously cares about other issues as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so, you know, what's the outlook for 2020? So, you know, do you guys have a sort of calendar of goals for the year in terms of could be anything i mean particular streets that's a great question (laughs) i think uh towards the end of 2019 we had a visioning meeting just to try and have some guideposts and a part of that was expanding our coalition and and you you heard nithia talk about um climate crisis so we're finding ourselves pretty well aligned with for example the sunrise movement um, from the sequoia school in pasadena we just helped put together um, a climate action forum for potential candidates and incumbents that are running on city council, and that was a huge hit. And I think that's probably a direction we're we're going to be moving towards um, in 2020. But I'll let other folks chime in. 
Um, yeah, last year we uh, helped run uh, Walktober, which is a series of walking events that were held in uh, the month of, uh, of October, and that's something we're going to probably we're going to do again this year as well. And it's trying to get people out of their cars and give them opportunities to enjoy the city that you know walking or other such things so it's like a walking tour of pasadena or areas around pasadena yeah i mean so it's like a month-long event and we had different walking events uh some in the lower arroyo some with city council members in their district uh we went to city hall and checked out the dot their uh, traffic control room um so just yeah just really an opportunity to get people out of their cars and walk around and experience the city by foot um and that's just a way to you know get people to understand what complete suites are about and and get our name recognition a little up there also i think it like uh gives the pedestrian the driver as a pedestrian a uh, point of view that they don't normally see as a shuttle from their house to their job you're suddenly walking across that street that you commute through and you realize huh, this street is difficult to cross or there's some kind of issue or it's not you know, the, the speeding traffic is two feet from you and uh, sort of helps to give people a, a new perspective that they maybe forgot about. You yeah, know. yeah, exactly. It was we started out as an advocacy organization and, um, you know, we'll go we'll talk about a specific policy or program at city council. But we need to broaden this coalition, as Dan referred to, and um, by creating events like Walktober, all these walks were focused on like food or art or architecture. Love that. Um, they were wildly popular. I it was bet. amazing. And tons of people we were able to reach who wouldn't normally be necessarily open to hearing about sort of our perspective on these issues. So it was a really great opportunity we hope to continue in 2020. And then um, a couple of other things were put in um, uh, an application to help day one uh, do bike week or month in Pasadena and also um, want to work on potentially a, a SCAG program to do urban cooling and um, uh, um, how, to, how to create a sort of green streets that will help cool the urban heat island effect. Now SCAG is Southern California Association of Governments and um, I guess Pasadena has a seat on that board right i don't recollect mm. regardless they, i guess skag would sort of provide funding right that it the, yeah. the pilot the origin of the program i'm unclear on but they had already selected pasadena and long beach mm. as two pilot communities mm. to um uh look at what steps cities could take to reduce the heat island effect so that involves if I'm not mistaken, like the roads are black, and I think even in LA we're doing a pilot program to paint the roads white. Yeah, there's it's white asphalt, I guess you call it. Or? So it's it's that it's um, trees and other kinds of shade, um, potentially other forms like that might bring you know greenery to the area. So and Pasadena has like a rich tradition of planting trees. Um, like we're if you look at it at Google Earth and you look at Pasadena, it's like covered in trees. Mm -hmm. um, some are unlike LA, um, and we've invested in the past in our street canopy, and that's definitely something we have to keep investing in if we want to get people to to walk or bike because you know shading shading a tree for cars doesn't make sense because cars have air conditioning, but when you're riding <laughs> a bike and when you're walking, it's it's really nice to be underneath uh, the canopy of a tree and and it helps a lot with uh, the environmental issues. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I was growing up. Um, I actually went to 
Pasadena City College. And um, before that, I went to a school in Burbank, a high school in Burbank, a little Catholic school. <laughs> um, my mom didn't want to send me to Hollywood High, so I went over the hill. And I was just like, wow, Burbank is so well taken care of. And then, you know, just as a kid, I just understood that about the city. And then we would, you know, sort of travel laterally across Glendale to Pasadena. And all three of those cities seem to care more than LA about things like street canopy and making things nicer for people to walk. And I used to skateboard or whatever, take the bus. But um, that always impressed me is even when I was a, when I was young, I was like, it's so much nicer in Burbank than it is in Hollywood. And, you know, so um, I guess that's attributed to the city just being small, right? Like Pasadena is what, a million people, something like that, or? Uh, 140,000. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so way small. Wow. Okay, I was way off. I'm usually not that bad at this. Yeah, no, estimates. but the city has like a lot of infrastructure that we can build upon. Like we have six metro stations within the city. And there's yeah. been some like positive decisions that prior administrations made to move the city in the right direction. Yeah. And we definitely need to like fill that in. Like mm-hmm. we need like first mile, last mile solutions to all our mm-hmm. light rail stations. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people in Pasadena like, I grew up in Monrovia, mm-hmm. um, and, like, my mom was from Monrovia, and, like, you know, my first job was in Pasadena. I went to PCC, too. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of people come into Pasadena for work or entertainment or, or, or whatever, and building upon the, the light rail stations that we have is, like, really important to address, like, housing issues and climate change and, and everything in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we have some really interesting opportunities with Metro's next-gen plan. And so we, we have a local bus system. It's called Pasadena Transit. It used to be called the Area Rapid Transit, but for obvious reasons, it's no longer called Rapid. So I think we're, we're on the cusp of some really interesting opportunities. And for a city of our size, I think we've come a long way. And I think with some new visions on city council, we will be able to do much more. So do you guys... Um, endorse city council members. You guys are 501c3, right? So you can't... We're basically just a club. We don't really even have... We have no staff and not barely any budget. Um, We've chosen to date not to endorse any candidates because we have to work with whoever gets elected. And um, it's important to maintain strong working relationships. Okay. Yeah, that hasn't stopped people from calling us Big Bike, but... (laughs) Ah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Um, keep Pasadena moving. Yeah. Mm. There's that group. There's a Keep LA moving. There's a Keep America moving. There's a Keep Playa del Rey moving, right? There's a so bunch of them. <laughs> they they keep multiplying. Yeah, they do. That's basically the people that think we should all drive cars everywhere for everything or that cars should be the most important form of transportation. That your trip is worth more because you are driving a car. That's basically their philosophy. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a like Bizarro from <laughs> Superman because like it's the direct opposite of what we think. And and if we like share something and post something on our Facebook page, like hey, look at there's something that you know San Francisco is doing or LA is thinking about. You see that same thing posted on the uh, Bizarro website <laughs> and the opposite reactions. So it's it's definitely a real thing, and, and, and that's why people have to kind of go out. That's kind of not necessarily one reason why these our group form. We form for other reasons, but 
something that's kind of kept us together as a cohesive unit because we realized that there is like a sadly to say a threat out there right that will push back on any of this stuff and they're working together across cities and states i guess i mean the they had a conference last october that had speakers that from reason foundation and cato institute which are both co-funded institutions i would not say that this is a grass what do they call it a astroturf it's not an astroturf movement there's there's absolutely real people involved but there's also other kinds of interests that are involved in all of these groups right right yeah i've definitely uh gone up against uh one of the speakers at that conference a few times and um you know it's like you wonder like where do they come from but i'm sure they're thinking the same thing about us because you know I don't know, we used to go to City Hall in L.A. all the time as the bike lobby and would kind of have our way because nobody was really paying attention that much, you know, and we'd be the ones, like, advocating for things like road diets and bike lanes and things like that. And, um, you know, once the city started implementing a lot of those kinds of configurations, a opposition did arise, and it's fueled by you know, talk radio hosts um, that just nag at the driver for like an hour while you're commuting. You just hear this, these couple of guys on the radio just telling you how awful everything is in California. And it's like they have such an amplified voice um, compared to like folks like yourselves and LACBC and so forth where there isn't a lot of money behind it, you know. Well, they have an amplified voice, and they also have a persecution complex. It's a very strange combination. <laughs> it's an effective combination. Mm. And yeah. they're, they're really angry. Like, anger is, like, a great motivator. And, like, a lot of the changes that we're facing, like, we, there, there's changes that have to happen to address some of our goals. And whenever that happens, it creates this reactionary backlash. Yeah. And it's persistent. And it creates new people constantly mm. as soon as something happens. <laughs> yeah. I think it, it, sorry to cut in, um, I think it comes from a very deficient, like, mindset where... Scarcity mindset. Scarcity mindset, there you go. Mm. That folks, I think, I I was listening to your last um, episode on the road buffet rather than the road (laughs) diet. And I think that makes sense because you're giving people more options, more, a, a menu of options, but that's rarely ever discussed. Folks zone, like, just narrow in on the fact that they're going to be losing something i think it just it's just decades of the way that you know i guess it's stemming from the 40s and 50s when people were really excited about having machines to get them around it's affordable they're excited they you know it looks fancy and you know they they really believed that everybody was going to drive everywhere for everything and they they bought it and they made policies and i Whoever was in the background driving the politics was right on board, you know, oil companies, whatever. And for 60, 70 years, we've just rebuilt our environment to be auto-oriented. And now here we are and we realize uh, not everyone can drive. You don't want everyone to drive everywhere for everything. And, um, yeah, so now it's a scarcity thing where it's like, well, there's more people we need to widen the roads. We've got to stop building housing. Like it's like, guys, it can work. Let's look at some other models around the world where they've solved this and actually made things 
more pleasant at the same time. Yeah. There's a famous cartoon where, or not famous, was, I've seen it a couple of times where it's like, well, what if we do all these things? What if we plant trees and get more exercise and clean the air and, you know, create this, you know, world that we're envisioning and it turned out that climate change was a hoax. Oh, well, we have this much yeah, better yeah, yeah. world. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, darn. We, yeah. <laughs> we got rid of all the pollution and machines everywhere and expensive it's so, it's so expensive to get around we've made it so expensive either time wise or you know you got to buy a car for twenty thirty thousand dollars it's insane if you came to somebody and you said you know would you would you pay thirty thousand dollars for you know a, a bus pass you know th- that's essentially what you're doing when you have to buy a car to get around you have to like spend thirty thousand dollars and then you're in traffic and it's awful and you can see how people would lose their minds and they're clawing at everything trying to hang on to their their lifestyle and it's just like it's not working yeah there's a lot of media dedicated to driving i i get these ads on uh, spotify from lexus oh that that tells me you know the traffic is terrible that's why we make luxury cars we're immersed in car advertising and i used to actually work in car advertising i worked for nissan north america and i just marveled this was like years ago but i was just like they're spending the the budget for nissan north america which was one of the smaller car companies was a billion dollars in north america in america the united states was a billion dollars of advertising and it's just like wow multiply that by toyota gmc you know all these it's like 14 billion dollars you know the the amount of education you know slash marketing that we get telling us that we should be driving cars that the more expensive car we buy the more valuable we are to society it's just insane also like the marketing of like suvs was like a luxury item and like that what that's caused to pedestrian deaths because of like the size of the sheer of the cars right. and another thing like recently you know um larry mantle was talking about uh, uh <sighs> he's a closet republican sorry <laughs> he loves his cars um but uh talking about um uh, the 85 percentile yeah and well, he was talking about that yes okay. yeah okay um and you know it's the amount of money that car industry puts into advertising certain cars and the amount of money that us as a society has to do to like ret- like control cars right? right right we have to police force right we have all the traffic signals that we have to put in just to maintain this like court of transportation didn't even think about that you're absolutely right the court systems the police enforcement everything that we're doing to tame the 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 car companies the cars it's insane and we're not doing a good job no yeah so larry mantle i'm to just digress really quickly did he was he for the the did it make sense to him? He's like, wow, you know, well, like that makes sense. I or, mean, or was he against it? I'm, I'm going to guess that he uh, probably thought it was okay. I mean, you can always kind of ter- tell what Larry's kind of perspective is a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. When he's talking. Um, and he kind of pushed both sides. Uh-huh. Um, fortunate enough, the people that called in were very uh, for changing the 85 percentile. Okay. Yeah. So he definitely got, you know, an earful of people who, you know, support lowering speed limits yeah because you know i used to chase around the LADUT 
this guy named Brian Gallagher, senior engineer, LADOT. Him and this guy, Troy Williams, who was a motorcycle cop for the LAPD, they would go from neighborhood council to neighborhood council and sell the neighborhood council on raising speed limits so that they could enforce the speed limit because of the 85th percentile law. And I would chase them around and like present, hey, guys, we don't actually have to raise the speed limit. We can engineer the roads to be slower and then cars will comply with the speed limit. And it was just sort of like a wrench in their little operation and they stopped for a while and they've come back and they've raised speed limits, I think, on like 100 miles of Los Angeles streets. But these two are like going ba- going from neighborhood council to neighborhood council again. And and it's just like, guys, you guys seriously don't care about safety. LADOT and LAPD. Screw both you guys going around telling people to raise their speed limits. <laughs> Anyways, digression. Let's get back. I'm sure in Pasadena, you know, I, I, okay, how is it in Pasadena? Are they raising the speed limits? Because in Burbank... I used to work in the city planning department a little bit, and um, they actually protected their speed limits. Burbank city speed limits are still around 35, 40. How's Pasadena holding up? Do you want to talk about Orangeburg? I mean, so the city's been trying to avoid raising our speed limits. So like that kind of with the whole discussion over Orange Grove Boulevard, which there's a proposed road diet on that, and one of the one of our points and one of the points the city was making was like. We don't want to raise our speed limits, so let's reconfigure the street to lower the speed which cars feel comfortable driving, right? Right. And that's kind of instigated everything. Like that's when the everything kind of blew up in the city when it came comes to the mobility in the city. Mm-hmm. That's when you know Keep LA Moving had a chap, you know, the Pasadena <laughs> chapter developed because of that, and mm. kind of scared some of the city council members, and that whole thing got ripped out of the mobility plan and there's a big like blank space north of the 210 in in our city now orange grove goes through an area where there's like some big mansion size old houses it looks like old wealth over there it cuts across the city like it there on the east side there's on the south side of orange grove there's large big mansions Mm -hmm. Uh, on the east side there's large big mansions some like 1950s housing but in like kind of the core of it from like lake further east or further west it's like a really working class like latino community okay um and unfortunately that whole conversation it like a lot of conversations that happen in the city it's older wider wealthier homeowners homeowners Mm -hmm. who have the political power and the connections in the city to kind of dictate the conversation right and unfortunately with that entire scenario uh, situation we never really got to the point of like talking to like that other side of the city to get their perspective yeah actually for for a bit they were considering doing two segments so west of lake and then east of lake so east of lake you get into more single family neighborhoods whereas there's more density west of lake Mm -hmm. and within that community when we were out talking with people knocking on doors it made sense to do something about orange grove because there were so many collisions that were happening right so it made sense um it's just i think the the tactic that they took was a very all or nothing approach Hmm. and for that reason we never got around to even doing any sort of piloting when you say they you're talking about dot dot okay yeah they they presented it as an all or nothing 
Mm. Or they presented something extreme and got backlash kind of thing. I think, just to clarify, um, Pasadena DOT in general has been, um, tries to follow the principles of Vision Zero, um, even though the city hasn't adopted it. Um, And in general, they bring, um, they pay attention to best practices that are in other cities and try to bring them forward. Um, So I would have to, they don't, we don't always agree with everything they do, but in general, I would Mm. say that where we ran into the most uh, friction was not at the staff level. Mm. Would you guys agree? Yeah. Yeah. I I think the approach at first, at least from my understanding, was that there would be these two segments that would be studied and it made a lot of sense. Um, given the different um, environments that Orange Grove um, goes through. However, towards the end of it, it it's like the entire project got scrapped. Hmm. Um, And I think that that was a missed opportunity to actually have a conversation around denser areas where you do have a lot of pedestrian activity. You do have Hmm. a lot of people using their bikes. For example, service workers that go north, uh, north, south, and east, west. Mm -hmm. Um, But we, we didn't get to that point because there was this kind of implosion that that happened. Hmm. You know, uh, I had an experience like that actually um, out in the West Valley, which is a lot of homeowners and a lot of conservative sort of thinking. Uh, I, you know what? Transportation is not really like a partisan situation, but it's just like people automatically have been conditioned to think like, wider roads better you know and i found success in going to i went house to house um fighting for a road diet out there and um you know i went to every single house on that stretch of road it was two miles and i got a signature and i sold them the idea of the the road diet um i didn't talk about bicycles at all i talked about the center turn lane and less cut through traffic your property values going up you being able to take out the trash next to a bike lane versus next to a speeding car lane things like that you know and i'd be curious to you know can you go house to house on orange grove we we did go yeah. house to house on orange grove and yeah. actually we were making a great deal of progress using some of the sort of points that you were talking about mm-hmm. um there were two problems one was that other people started going well the project was initiated in somewhat of a rush mm. because the idea was to tie it in with a um, repavement that was happening mm. that I think was the last of the ARA funds. Mm-hmm. So they had to spend it in a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. So it didn't go through its kind of normal, what they call the Pasadena way, which is a lot of people getting involved and kind mm-hmm. of taking forever. Um, but it didn't go through that. It was kind of presented in a, in a mm. too quick fashion. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anybody in the city pro or con who would disagree with that at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did go door to door. We were explaining it. We were actually making some progress. Mm-hmm. And then um, the meeting was coming up really quickly. Other people started to also go door to door against it. Mm. Um, so, and then the other thing is that the city wow. had not um, had time to hear some of the concerns about cut through traffic being pushed north and south mm. of Orange Grove and hadn't had time to either study it or come up with proposed um, solutions to that problem. Mm, so mm. we were just dealing with something that was perceived as a problem mm. and no opportunity in terms of time to mm. put together an effective response. And then 
there's a sort of in a sort of change in the political winds as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that that sort of is what made it so that it wasn't going to be addressed again. At least that's my perception. Yeah, I mean, also there was like a misstep on a other street where they did a road yes. diet that wasn't completely explained to the community ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And so that was the starting point of the conversation. Um, and so, yeah, I think it, it, it's at this point where it got really hot really fast. Mm-hmm. And maybe north of the 210, it, especially east, it's really hard to kind of convince people, or not even convince people, but have a conversation mm-hmm. um, when people have already made their mind up. Mm, yeah, yeah. That's that's a bummer. Okay. I mean, so Orange Grove is not going to happen, do you think? So after the... Uh, specific proposal for the um, lane reduction was put on hold. Um, the key Pasadena moving folks kept showing up to the city council every single week <sighs> until they actually had forced the council to go back, pull it out of the plan, which was not had, had not been on the table, review of the plan. There was nothing pushing review of the plan, but the, in order they flex their political power, their wow. political muscle enough to get the council to reach in and pull it out of the plan. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. Okay, so they're... They're organized. Mm-hmm. They're angry. And like, they're, and they're yeah. angry, and that's like a great motivator. Yeah. But also, like, th- that kind of felt like the beginning of a conversation in the city, mm-hmm. like where people really began to pay attention to this issue mm-hmm. and kind of like realize what we're about. And, and yeah. the more the conversation continues, you start to see faults mm-hmm. in the opposition and mm-hmm. their perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's their kind of thing is morphing to something else, kind of like. Never anything here, you know. <laughs> so just five weeks after this whole thing happened, um, there was a important meeting regarding the um, protect, a protected bike lane on Union Street, which will be the first one in Pasadena. And we had so many people come out in favor of that. Okay. It absolutely overwhelmed the newly organized opposition, who, of course, showed up. Yeah. Um, and the supporters um, who had been galvanized by this whole fight over Orange Grove showed up in droves and well outnumbered the opposition and the project is moving forward. Oh, and great. The same thing happened at there is another uh, reconfiguration in the city on Cordova where we have an existing uh, road diet and we're just going to extend it. And same thing, it, you know, we got our supporters out and, and after Orange Grove and it's going to continue. It's going to it's going to go forward. Excellent work, guys. Mm-hmm. Excellent. In some ways, a silver lining. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I mean, that's what's so funny about all this stuff. Like, you know, when Mike, I don't know if you guys saw Mike Bonin with the recall effort and all that stuff going down. Mm. Keep PDR moving. We had um, Alexis uh, Edelstein. He was the main guy behind the recall effort for Bonin. We had him on the show. And um, we had him on, and we talked to him for about an hour. Um, and I think he, I don't know, you know, I think it had a little bit of an effect on him because we went and had a beer afterwards. And he's a Bernie supporter, and I'm a Bernie supporter, so we found some common ground. <laughs> and, um, you know, their their effort just sort of melted away. I'm not saying that it was because of anything we did, but it was just sort of like once you get out there and you have the conversation, people that, have a knee-jerk reaction and you have enough time to talk to them about it people start realizing you know that it's not healthy to just be cars you know just to be about driving cars everywhere for everything 
you know. Oh. One of the things that we think might be a, a topic that we can pull together a broad coalition on is this subject going back to what Tuffer was talking about of trees. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. it's, oh, yeah. It's a truly a, a subject that brings together our type of advocates Absolutely. and other kinds of advocates who might be on opposite sides of the table on some issues. So one of the things I think we want to look at this year is also um, kind of trying to pull together a broader coalition focused on that. And you can chip away at the at the opposition as well um, in terms of just car on car violence. You mm-hmm. know, there's a lot of people that just don't want somebody speeding mm-hmm. and they just don't realize that the way to get people to slow down is to engineer the streets. And by the way, we can also add other options while we're engineering the streets to slow down car drivers. And I see sometimes a light bulb turn on in, in the opposition, you know, in their heads, mm-hmm. if you and really talk to them. And, 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 like, part of that is, like, local reporting because, like, there are a lot of, like, car crashes. Mm-hmm. And they get, like, the, the towing truck comes, picks it up, and then the mess is gone. Um, and there's a lot, not a lot of reporting on it. Um, so, like, that's something that, like, local news organizations need to, like, start talking about that. Because in the city of Pasadena, like, you're more likely to be injured in a collision than you are to be hurt in, like, some kind of violent interaction with another person. Right. Or a crime. Um, and it's probably true throughout LA City as well. Yeah. Um, and lucky enough, like, we try to push this stuff and, like, I sent an email into LA List, and that's why they wrote their article about um, collisions versus uh, changing the language. Accidents, changing the language. Mm. And oh yeah, I saw that. Good. Thank you. Good job. Try to instigate when you can, and yeah. sometimes <laughs> you have a positive result. Well, absolutely. I totally believe in that. I've I've definitely uh, sent in stories to LA Weekly that have uh, turned into s- some stories. So um, it's good to get covered. You know what is interesting too is citizen reporting like i'm in i probably shouldn't do this but i'm in like so many neighborhood groups and facebook where i just sort of watch like the conversations go down it's always like homelessness crime traffic collisions and there's always someone that posts up a gnarly traffic collision like every week you know oh my god these people you know it's like they speed and people start going back and forth about it and I always drop in a comment. It's like, yeah, you know, roads engineered like freeways. What do you expect? You know, like this is going to keep happening. And then people start arguing back and forth. Well, no, it's just the drivers. We don't need roads to be safer. Drivers have to be safer. And you're like, well, good luck teaching them that. Returning to Orange Grove, but like <laughs> next door is not our friend. Right next door is, like, <laughs> yeah, is, that. is evil. But um you know, s- there was a collision that happened on Orange Grove and Hill like this week and mm-hmm. somebody commented about it and somebody said, yeah, like we could have fixed it. But thanks to keep passing and moving, we didn't fix it. Nice work. No, no, yeah. No one within the group was it. It was just a resident of the city that made that connection. Yeah. You know? Great. Yeah. I think that resonates with with folks um, from the Orange Grove kind of debacle is, oh, wait, so there's there's all these people driving really fast. We also don't want them on our streets, and we were worried about spillover traffic. Yeah. Maybe we ought to start thinking about design yeah. and not just personal responsibility. I have a question for you. Yeah. So one of the things we find is that um, sometimes when you're trying to present this alternate vision, people are concerned about change, um, 
and especially like people want everybody else to drive slower they don't want to have to drive slower right. people want everybody else to get out of their cars and get out of their way but they don't want to get out of it. so what do you what have you found in terms of like t- you talk to loads of people who think about these issues all the time mm-hmm. what are some of the tactics or sort of lines of reasoning or things that people have done to be effective in trying to persuade people and not have that sort of defensive opposition wow yeah i mean you know it's like there's okay so you got your engineering problem Mm -hmm. you've got your enforcement and you got your education and i mean the 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 people that seem to for a light bulb seems to turn on you know, I think the convincing argument is just um, they have to realize that you can educate people on North Korea's level education programs and it's still you're still going up against 14 billion dollars in marketing that cars are fast. They're the only things on the road that matter. And, um, you know, it's like education can only go so far it's got to be engineering and some people I, I you know i that's a tough question you know um it's things like that uh, you know i like to talk about hypermiling as a driver i like to when i voice when i talk on these forums i'll i'll say things like you know i'm 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 a i have an suv i drive an suv and i want you know I want my safety to matter as well. You know, like as a car driver, um, we're, you know, car drivers are dying a lot. It's not just about bike riders and pedestrians, but here you have this huge crash that you just posted on the Facebook group and you want this traffic grid to be safer. Um, But I don't know. I mean, it's just trying to get people to understand that engineering matters. And um, it's a mess because people are so gaslit about what's going on. It's like me as a driver, like when I drive, I drive deliberately slow, time the lights so I don't have to stop so I can save gas because my car, I don't want to spend a bunch of money on gas. And I don't want to spend a bunch of money repairing my car because you put a lot of stress on it. When people just rush up to a red light, it's ridiculous. Like we're like almost everybody in LA just speeds up to a red light stops and they think that's normal and I'm sitting there hanging back and I'll catch the green light and and just sort of everybody that's at the red light passed me aggressively sometimes and it's like if everybody would just relax and slow down you know um but that's not, that's not going to happen with 14 billion dollars w- worth of education yelling at us at Laker games and television shows and pot you know whatever on youtube telling us to go fast so we're up against a big force so i don't know what i'm talking about (laughs) 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 you know you kind of talk to individuals and it's like trees that's a big deal street engineers aim to take away trees can you believe it because it allows cars to drive faster i mean it's insane it's insane where all our priorities are in America. And, you know, the, the thing about electric cars is that's not going to solve the problem either. Neither is automated, you know, cars. You know, it's, 
none of those things are going to solve the traffic problem. No, but electric bikes might. Electric bikes are very promising. I used to actually not like electric bikes. I like them because you can go as fast as cars. I mean, I don't have one, but if people start getting into electric bikes and maybe scooters, electric scooters and things, like that could really revolutionize Los Angeles. Yeah, at our the Climate Action Forum that we hosted, one of the questions we had for the city council members is that we have an EV rebate program, but it only applies to vehicles that can go on the highway. And so we asked them, hey, can we have that apply to pedal assist bicycles and other like electric mobility devices? And majority of the, the respondents said yes. They, 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 they thought that was a good idea. Yeah. And, and just like another thing to your point of like, um, so I've ridden bikes for a long time and um, the more you ride bikes, the better in shape you get, the faster you can go. And the faster you go, the more comfortable you feel on our streets. Like you literally have to compete with cars, with the yeah. speed of cars. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, if, once I like injured my knee and I was biking slowly and it, you feel more vulnerable the slower oh, you go. Yeah. And my girlfriend, I tried to get her nice bikes. I thought, Oh, I'll buy a nice bike and that'll get, encourage her to ride. No, no, no. But we're looking at buying an e-bike because it'll just make her feel more comfortable that she can actually go sort of with the speed of traffic and feel like you're not in the way, you know? And that's kind of what the thing is, is that we don't have a lot of bike lanes in our city. Um, and it's it's interesting that they have governor like there's a governor for the speed of an electric bike. It can't go faster than I think it's twenty nine miles an hour. It's twenty for class one and twenty eight for class three. So why don't we have that kind of governor on automobiles? Yeah, yeah. There's no reason that a car should be able to go one hundred and twenty or one hundred and forty miles an hour. Now you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> <laughs> We're speaking evil. <laughs> if Keep Pasadena movies we're, listening right now. Yes, we, like, we definitely need some car control in this city. Yeah. In this, in this country. Yes, in this country. Well, you know, it's been good talking to you guys. Um, well, let's get this the websites and the social media stuff out there. Sure. So you can find us at PasadenaCSC.org. That's the website. Um, we are also on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, for Instagram, it's Pasadena CSC. Um, Facebook, it's just type in Pasadena Income Streets Coalition, and we have a Facebook page. Um, and also, if you want to be more informed, we have like a, a monthly newsletter that we send out. Um, you can sign that. You can sign on to that on our website, and then we'll, we'll send out an email once a month. And then if there's something coming up, we'll always like blast something out. Yeah. Do you comb the email list for like spies from Keep Pasadena Movie? Yes, <laughs> and they're there. Do you send out separate covert? Nope. Messaging. <laughs> Thank you for the idea, though. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, there was a parody account, too, which probably had nothing to do with you guys, right? It didn't, but we were very impressed. <laughs> I have a feeling I know who it was. Uh, okay. We hope they released the results of the parody survey. The parody yeah, survey. Yeah. That was good. <laughs> I, I took it, and I was like, because I was like, oh, keep passing in a movie. I'm going to screw up their survey. And then I was like, looking at it, I was like, wait a minute this is, um, this is a joke wait a minute this is fake <laughs> no no they got me yeah yeah uh, we, we i we screenshot that and that's saved on our instagram account in okay. story so if you want to like reminisce <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay well it's been a pleasure having you guys um, thanks for having us yeah, yeah thank you yeah thank you for having we'll us. have you guys come back in the future and we'll check in on on everything yeah when we solve our infrastructure problems <laughs> yeah. you'll be the first to know yeah. oh perfect we want the scoop me and Nick are always talking about getting the big scoop for Bike Talk. Get us on the map. The big scoop from Big Bike. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
Hashtag. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag big bike. Can you believe that? There really is that thought that there's just an evil bike lobby. I love it. Anyways, all right. That's Bike Talk on KPFK live stream. My name's Don Ward. Um, It's Valentine's Day. And uh, uh, we'll see you next week. Shows I care Every turn of the pedal Cleans the air Green in the green I'm saving the planet Just like my friends Daryl, Sean, Toby, and Janet No greenhouse gas A tiny carbon footprint Up your ass Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk If you want to hear more Go to kpfk.org Navigate to programs And choose Bike Talk On the Bike Talk page Click on the archives link To play or download shows Posted in the last four months Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group.